reading today is taken from Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, from verse 32 to 42, and then two verses from chapter 15. It's the Garden of Gethsemane. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Chapter 15, verse 33. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma samachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to John for reading that to us. So we're well into this series. For those of you who are visiting, we've been in this series now for a few weeks, looking at our culture and how as Christians we speak into that culture. How do we make a difference? And over the last few weeks, as I've been listening and and attending the church services and so forth, I've also found myself listening to and reading about an issue which, uh, frankly, and to be honest, I hadn't given much thought to previously. There are many good things about living in today's world. And we need to be careful about sweeping generalizations and judgments about woe to me, about how awful the 21st century is. But there can be no doubt that what some call the cult of individualism and the rise of social media is having a serious effect on our families and our communities. And along with it, a sense, an increasing sense of isolation and loneliness across all age groups. One of the presenters at this year's Willow Creek Leadership Conference, which many of us from St. Paul's go to every year, it's a a business leadership conference, but one of the speakers there came up with this striking title that we've used for today's service, the, the, The Lethality of Loneliness. Apparently there's a burnout crisis across business. 23% of people feel burnt out always. 44%, as we heard in that DVD earlier on, sometimes... And 63% of employees now take regular sick days, 23% of them visiting A&E. And half, 50% of all chief executives of the companies out there say that they are lonely. A loneliness that leads to more stress, to depression, a vulnerability to impulsive behavior, 
and an inability to sleep well. More and more people, many of them maybe in this church today, work from home, isolated from others. And everywhere, people sit in front of a, of a computer screen all day, dealing with a never-ending stream of emails and rarely physically interacting with anyone around them. One in four working adults will experience some form of mental illness in the coming year. According to the British Red Cross, more than nine million people in the UK often or always feel lonely. 1.2 million of them say that they are chronically lonely. 1.9 million older people feel ignored or invisible. And over half, 51% of those aged 75 and over in the UK now live alone. And a half a million of them say that they go at least five or six days a week without seeing anyone at all. Television is their main source of company. It's not surprising that the Health Secretary, Jeremy Hunt, described loneliness recently as our national shame. Some of you will remember Saju, who used to run our youth work here. And I was with Saju uh, on Remembrance Sunday, speaking at his church in Gillingham in Kent. And over lunch, I chatted about this issue with him. And he told me about a woman who he asked uh, over after a service how she was getting on and so forth. And she told him that the only physical touch that she felt each week was when she received communion from him. Another vicar, one of the local vicars here, told me that he'd once asked a woman in his congregation, what did she enjoy most about his services? The tea afterwards, she said, which was a bit disappointing for him. But nonetheless, she then said, because it's the only time that anybody ever speaks to me. How has all this come about? Our culture's attitude to relationships and the breakdown of traditional family and community certainly hasn't helped. Serving in Germany in the 70s and 80s, it was not uncommon to be out on exercise in villages and towns where three generations of the same family lived together. And when my brigade was building and running refugee camps in the Balkans in the 1990s, I was struck by the strength of the Kosovar families and their communities, Muslim communities, being obviously cleansed, ethnically cleansed by the Serbs at the time. Extended families of ten or more supporting each other and supporting other families around them through terrible times. Sadly, today's culture here in the UK seems very different. At a men's breakfast I spoke at last Saturday, I chatted to a man whose wife had died two years into his retirement. His children lived a long way away around the UK, and there was limited contact. And he is but one of many. There are something like 27.8 million homes in the UK. 8.2 million of them are lived in people on their own, including 1.8 million single parents raising now around 25% of all of our children in this country. The number of middle-aged bachelors has never been higher, 1.4 million between the ages of 45 and 64. And the rate of divorce, what the actress and so-called lifestyle guru Gwyneth Paltrow recently called conscious uncoupling, remains very high. 
Whilst today we talk about partners, the old English word troth, as in the word betrothed, used in the marriage service for hundreds of years, encapsulated the idea that true love is not true unless it's loyal, unswerving love, being so committed to someone that we go on loving them no matter what happens. It reflects God's love. It's a covenant love, a stick through it, thick and thin, whatever happens, love. All too often today, love seems to be enjoying someone with someone for a while, but then dropping them for someone else and moving on, like changing a tennis or a business partner. And I have to say, I reckon as Christians, we should stop using that word partner in the context of family relationships. And many are deciding not to get married in the first place. The new celebrity term for being single, coined by the 29-year-old actress Emma Watson, is being self-partnered. Others have gone even further. They're now beginning to marry themselves. In Japan, a travel agency offers a two-day solo wedding package for around £2,500. The bride-to-be enjoys dress fittings, a photo shoot in full hair and makeup, and a honeymoon suite in a luxury hotel, all without the pain of having a groom around. <laughs> and alongside this are pressures within families. Here's the, uh, the current feeling about what the current generations look like now. We've got how many baby boomers in here? Yeah, yeah, a lot. Uh, how many traditionalists born before then? Yeah, a few. How many are then a generation X? Yeah, that's quite a few. Millennials? Yeah, and then generation, the last one's generation Z, isn't it? The current lot. They're all out there um, having, their, having their youth work. Millennials and generation Z operate in the world very differently to the traditionalists, the baby boomers, and even generation X. In an outside world, the pressures of modern life mean that people have less and less time to spare. Increasing numbers of women, of course, now work, and two career families mean longer periods of separation and less time for each other or the family. Where children once walked to school and parents chatted with them and each other, they're now dropped off in cars as we all rush off to our work. Wanting freedom and not obligation, less community-minded, modern parents are too busy, for example, to join parent-teachers' associations. And amazingly, some don't even have the time to potty train their children either. A recent survey of 700 primary schools revealed that 70% of teachers have seen pupils aged four or five starting reception classes in nappies. One school in Warsaw has even hired a nappy changer to deal with the problem. And some of the rich and famous are now employing professional potty trainers at £700 a day. Anybody fancy a career in potty training? <laughs> Apparently, outsourcing the raising of our children is beginning to go hand in hand with outsourcing the care of the old to the state. Previous generations went to individual shops, chatted to the shopkeeper. Milkmen delivered to your door, and they noticed if yesterday's milk hadn't been taken in. So they would knock on the door to make sure that you were okay, and they chatted with you when they settled or you settled the bill. 
Today, many of us, of course, manage our finances and buy our stuff online. Or we use an automatic till to scan in the food or the fuel that we've just brought at the supermarket. We don't actually speak to anybody face to face. Which leads us to the internet. The internet, of course, can be a very powerful and positive tool. But as we've touched on in this series already, it also can be, and sadly far too often is, dangerous and divisive. Many, especially the young, now see the world through the eyes of social media. And many millennials and Generation X social media savvy youngsters are nonetheless lonely. Like looking to be liked and respected, they are all too often judged, rejected, abused, even hated online. Daniel Craig, alias James Bond, is one amongst many hitting out at the obsession with the internet and getting people to like everything about us. Like everything they see online. Many live isolated lives on their computers, where the so-called woke culture sets out the rules. How to behave, what to eat, what to wear, what to say, even what to think. And any infraction is treated as a heresy. Sinners must be called out, cancelled, airbrushed from history. A slip of the tongue could once have been apologised for and forgotten, but now it is stamped on our foreheads in letters of fire, with the outrage going straight onto the internet. A recent survey found that 54% of MPs, over half of our MPs, now feel they can't speak freely anymore for fears of attacks on social media. And they're surely not alone in that. With half the country seemingly going around waiting to be offended by the other half, it's not surprising that more and more people are just removing themselves from this, uh, from this conversation. So, how can we as Christians make a difference in all of this? When the human race was made in his image, God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. God is not an isolated individual. God the Father, his Son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are totally united in their plans and actions. And the Bible makes it absolutely clear that we are designed to have a real relationship with both them and with one another, with real people. Families and communities matter. Jesus certainly experienced loneliness in the wilderness apart from anywhere else and we know from the Gospels that he often went out to lonely places to pray. But he was almost never alone because he was in daily contact with his dad. I say almost never because as we heard in that reading in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was lonely The disciples were asleep and left him to face what was coming at Calvary. But on the cross, Jesus was abandoned even by his father, genuinely alone. Alone on the cross facing the ultimate loneliness, bearing our sins on his shoulders before being reunited with his father after the resurrection. And there are lots of other biblical examples of people experiencing loneliness. When I was in Iraq in 2003, I visited Babylon, just south of Baghdad, and the ruins of Nebuchadnezzar's palace there. 
and driving out to the ziggurat at Ur, supposedly somewhere near the site of the Tower of Babylon, I stopped to look at a large circular area of desert burning known locally as the place where Daniel's three named friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were thrown into the fiery furnace. Some of you may remember that story from the book of Daniel. Daniel and his three mates were carted off to Babylon when the Babylonian army took Jerusalem in around 586 BC. They were taken away from their families, carted off to a strange city, given new names, forced to live and work in an alien culture. They must have experienced real loneliness. But at least they had each other. And they had their faith in a God who cared for them and never abandoned them. Lonely they certainly were, but never alone. The bottom line is that most people, I think all of us, need people, other people, to survive and take us through and help us through the difficult times in our lives. We need to speak to people face-to-face, not through anonymous electronic devices. Taking part in an experiment on loneliness, TV presenter Fiona Phillips said that after not speaking to anyone for just 36 hours, she was literally walking the streets trying to catch someone's eye. In coffee shops, she was desperate to chat, but everybody else was wearing their headphones or tapping away on laptops. Doing more and more online may, of course, save us time and money, but conversations turn into opportunities. And for us as Christians, those opportunities turn into opportunities to share the gospel, to share stories about baptisms and faith and salvation. I lived in Somerset as a child, and I was interested to read in the paper recently that in Burnham-on-Sea, where my parents lived for a while, there's now a bench on the promenade 300 feet from the pierhead that has a bright yellow sign on it saying, the happy to chat bench. Sit here if you don't mind someone stopping to say hello. It was unveiled by police early this year in a bid to tackle loneliness. The senior citizens liaison team had got involved after meeting an 89-year-old widow who had given away more than £25,000 of her savings to a con artist because his phone calls were her only human interaction. On the bench, people can chat and share stories. Stories connect to our hearts, our emotions. I'm told that only 5% of people remember facts. So all that I said in the earlier part of the sermon will be lost to most of us before we walk out the door. But stories are remembered. The story that Saju told me about the only time that the lady has any human contact. Facts fade. Stories stick, which is the way that Jesus operated. He talked to people. He walked miles to where they were, and he told them stories, stories about donkeys and sowing seeds and vineyards. And from them, the people learned of love and neighborliness, of evangelism and of the kingdom of God. He accepted invitations to meals, He took time out to strike up conversations when he was out and about. A woman drawing water from a well, fishermen on the lakeside, tax collectors. And those conversations led to followers 
who became disciples led to saved souls. He, he displayed, and I, I love this expression, which I read only a, a couple of weeks ago. He displayed the tenderness of individual contact, not the cruelty of the social media crowd. The tenderness of individual contact, not the cruelty of the social media crowd. And remember that physically attending church like today is important. Apparently there are now churches that gather on the internet. With live streaming, why bother to leave your own home to go out in the cold, to go to a church meeting where you can be part of a community without the hassle of being in the same room as everybody else by simply turning on your computer? Why go and listen to a preacher that you can't turn off when he or she becomes boring? But the New Testament word for church is ecclesia, which means an assembly. Jesus promised that when two or three people gather together in his name, then he will be there amongst them. Jesus is here amongst us now because we are gathered in his name. And true worship is more than just seeing and hearing others on a screen. You can't baptize a baby or share the bread and wine of communion over the internet. Church is a community. It's a place where people know you by name and miss you when you're not there. Which is why here at St. Paul's we have our, our congregational pastors and many others who visit homes and check who's with us and miss them when they're not around. Actually, I think it's more than that. Jesus told his disciples to baptize people because baptism signifies that we are being adopted into God's family, which is what happened this morning. We are joining Jesus in the family of God. And Christian families should come together for more than just baptisms, weddings, or funerals. We gather together in churches like St. Paul's to give thanks to God to look into one another's faces, to sing together, to bow our heads together, to shake one another's hands, maybe even share a hug or two, even in the Anglican church. Share bread and wine together and then have a cup of tea together afterwards. Finally, you may have realized, it won't have passed you by, I don't suppose, that Christmas is coming Jesus came into this physical, material world as Emmanuel, God with us. So send a card that says so, and not an electronic card. You can't put an electronic card on your mantelpiece. One of the team in Burnham set up a a women who write group, sending postcards and letters to elderly people in care homes. When we correspond with others by email or social media, we have a relationship of sorts, and it can be important. Christian and I are communicating with our daughter, Gemma, who's in India at the moment. She's there for a month, and we're on WhatsApp, and she's sending us photographs and updating us on what's going on, and it's great, and I wouldn't want to be without it. But exchanging letters and speaking on the telephone is far better. One of the great things, I think, about the millennial and the Generation Z 
dependence on technology is that the modern phones they have, on those phones they expect to be able to see their friends as they talk to them on the telephone. Which I think is great. And beyond all of that though, we need to spend time with people. So seek out the lost and the lonely. Shake people by the hand. Give them a hug. Share a meal. Share physical space together. Help one another up the hills of life. Share the same wind in your faces and the same rain on your heads. And above all, share the gospel so that the people who are around you know that although they may feel lonely sometimes, they are never alone. And may God bless us as we do that in the coming weeks and Christmas and into the new year. Amen.